Welcome everybody, and as my regular listeners will know, um, hello, I don't know why I always waved at the screen because I have no idea if anybody's watching this on my uh, on my YouTube channel, but as always, I am delighted to have my, uh, my guests uh, here, and more so today, the brilliant uh, Chris Hood. Now, I met Chris via um, Katie from, uh, from Lately, and Chris is a business and innovation strategy at Google Cloud. He's also the host of a far more sophisticated podcast than this one, uh, The Digital uh, Show, and um, yeah, Chris has very, very kindly uh, given up his busy schedule to share some of his insights and knowledge um, with uh, with us around the topic of what is sales transformation. We've just been having an amusing repartee in the green room about a particular topic, which we may or may not get into in this uh, in this show. And Chris has got a fascinating um, background, but I will let him tell uh, his story. And as always, let's see where this goes. So Chris, um, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. We were just you want me to start with my story? Yeah, let's start. Let's start with your story. <laughs> sure. Uh, so, a high level, I have about thirty-five years of experience, and I know people who are looking saying you can't possibly have thirty-five years of experience. Uh, I actually started in sales. One of my first jobs was retail, and I was selling computer software out of a little store in a mall, and uh, got my experience selling software. Uh, which is great for, I think, the conversation we're going to have for today. Uh, from there, I got into movies. And then my second job was at a local movie theater selling popcorn and cleaning up popcorn <laughs> and movie tickets. And I loved it, fell in love with it, and began to get into the media and entertainment space. And from there, a lot of the work that I did was kind of balanced between sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. And when I decided to go to uh, college, I had this really interesting dilemma. I loved technology, but at the time, technology was not a thing. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, there was no computers at the school. Uh, you know, technology to me was a hobby. It was something I did in my spare time. So where I was thinking my career was going to go and where I could make money was either in producing movies or in sales <laughs> and marketing, you know, something like that. <laughs> and I eventually changed my mind, got into technology. And what was interesting was I had this uh, very unique balance of skills between technology and business. Mm -hmm. And I think for those of you who are listening right now, you can immediately identify that correlation, because that's something that we talk about all of the time now, is the relationship between business and technology. And the skill set came in very handy as I, you know, progressed throughout my career, mm -hmm. building these bridges and these roadmaps that converge technology business together to build really engaging experiences that could be used for marketing and sales to go off and support whatever the customer was looking for. Um, and so, yeah, it started off in sales, progressed to technology and dashed a little marketing in there. And I ended up at Google, uh, basically doing this digital strategy to help a lot of our leading largest organizations in the world really understand what digital transformation is, what, as we talked about, maybe sales transformation, mm -hmm. We'll just fill in the blank transformation, what that looks like and how Google or how the cloud or how an organization itself can think about transformation and be successful in it. 
And I think you raise a, a really a really good point there in terms of insert words before <laughs> transformation because it seems to be everything is going you know going through that. And obviously, what's happened in the in the last eighteen months, we know all the, the the stories and the stats of how that's been accelerated. But if we just take that word transformation for for you, Chris, what what does that actually fundamentally mean in a business context? Yeah, I think it's really interesting when we look at it transformation or digital transformation, as a lot of people want to say, is are these terms that are completely and totally overused or completely and totally misunderstood right now? Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of ways that you can indicate if somebody really understands what digital transformation is, as an example, when you ask them to explain it. And when they start off that explanation with some form of digital or technology, mm -hmm. I know that they're thinking about it wrong. Right. Or if we look at any other form of transformation, typically it has the connotation that the organization is attempting to change so that they can facilitate wherever their business is headed. Right. And there's another term that I think is probably more familiar to people called change management. And that's literally just the process of managing change within an organization. And the way I look at transformation for business is that the business has to evolve to meet the demands of their key stakeholders. And nine out of 10 times, those key stakeholders are your customers yeah. or your consumers or your clients <laughs> or your users or any other version of the word that you want to talk about. Um, they are the individuals who are ultimately going to determine the value that your business is going to achieve. And so if you're not thinking about it from that perspective where you're transforming to meet the needs of your customers, mm -hmm. then you're doing it wrong. I think that's a really, I, that's, I like that. I'm going to steal that. So I hope everybody else can, is, is, is going to steal that in terms of, you know, meeting the, meeting the need of your, um, your, your customers, your stakeholders, fundamentally people that are going to pay you money for what, for what you do to keep your business, uh, to keep your business uh, going. And again, you know, for me, it's been interesting watching the narrative play out on different social channels around organizations are talking about, we're going to be purpose-led, we're going to be client-centric, we're going to be, we're going to be, we're going to be. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a second, I've been in sales for almost 20 years now, started out life as an estate agent, a realtor, and then in, into recruitment. And I'm pretty sure back then, we were we were talking about you want to put the customer first, put your you know your customer in, in, in into your you know, put yourself into your customer's shoes and all, all that kind of thing. So you know, putting kind of what putting the pandemic to one side and obviously recognizing and being respectful of the human catastrophe that 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 has uh, created. Why why are we still then getting this wrong in sales? What, what what is what is still not working in terms of that relationship between? whatever it is you are selling as an organization in whatever industry to whomever that person may be, be it customer, client, consumer, user, um, and uh, person, people, <laughs> in your view. There's a couple of things that I believe are at play in these scenarios. Let's look at a story. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are you know, primarily in the US, the great video store, again, media and entertainment, Blockbuster. Yep. 
So Blockbuster, most people think Blockbuster went out of business because of the age of Netflix. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and Netflix disrupted them in some way and then Blockbuster went out of business. That's actually not the case. The true story was is that at one point in time, Netflix came to Blockbuster and said, hey, we can be a male distributor of your videos and we'll partner with you to do this. And Blockbuster said, no. Mm -hmm. Blockbuster's rationale was our customers love to come into the store. They love to walk up and down the aisles, looking at videos and selecting what they're gonna watch and taking it home. It's part of that experience. And Blockbuster also said that people enjoy paying our late fees because it brings them back into the store and we make a lot of money in late fees and we don't wanna give up these late fees. And so we're gonna to continue to do this. Mm -hmm. What they didn't understand was that their customers didn't like paying late fees and they didn't necessarily like coming in and walking up and down the aisles. Customers liked the idea of not leaving their home and sitting at their house and waiting for a video to show up and it shows up and then they can watch it. The convenience factor. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, Blockbuster went out of business because they, one, refused to change. There was an ego element to that. Mm -hmm. They thought they knew better. And two, they weren't listening to their customers. They didn't understand what their customers really wanted. And that's the bottom line. If you're, if you're not going to listen to your customers, if you're not going to hear what they have to say or what they want, or you're not gonna keep a pulse on what their needs are or expectations, then you're going to go out of business. That's the bottom line. And so throughout history, we can see a lot of rationales and a lot of business wrapped around we know what our customers want. We're going to give them what they want without even asking them first what they do want. Mm -hmm. And two, the ego just gets in the way. They're like, we've been successful so far. We're not going to change our business model just for the sake of, you know, we could potentially go out of business. Yeah. There's a fear of changing that business model. And if you go back to Netflix, we can see how Netflix has evolved for their customers. They started off delivering DVDs by mail. And now they are one of the largest media distributors in the world, and they're doing it digitally. If they would have kept delivering DVDs by mail, they would be out of business right now, right? And, and again, you can go through all of the companies that have really challenged this and it boils down to they just don't want to change mm -hmm. or they don't know how to change or they just don't listen to their customers enough to change to change and i mean we have blockbuster in the uk and i remember, I remember it fondly going to and getting really annoyed when somebody hadn't rewound the the video set from the just <laughs> from, the, from the person before you and then, of course, nobody likes paying um, uh, paying late fees. And I completely forgot that Netflix started out in terms of DVDs, that it was ma mail order in, in, in DVDs. You get so wrapped up in terms of the world that we are now, this kind of a, this economy of, of now, I, I need it straight away, notwithstanding, obviously, the outage that happened last night for the organisation, you shall remain nameless. Um, that's another conversation to be, uh, uh, to, to be had on a separate, uh, a separate show. 
So with, with that kind of in, in mind, and you know what we kind of touched on in terms of the, the transformation piece, let's put the word sales in front, in front of it. What, what then is sales transformation? If we accept that we need to listen to or go to where our customers are going, so what's the sales transformation bit of that? It's the same, like to me, mm -hmm. it's how do I sell to my customers in a way that meets their needs? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example, expectations. Yep. If you were to walk into a restaurant today and that restaurant said, oh, I'm sorry, we don't take debit cards. How would you respond? Probably most of you, yeah. Your first response would be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you don't take what? <laughs> um, you know, and sticking with restaurants, what was really interesting, at least over near me, there were several restaurants who did this. They knew that they could no longer have people coming into the restaurant and sitting down you know, for, for a meal. Um, and so their sales were going down. So what they did was they had all this food, they had stock that was coming in, uh, part of their ordering system, and they opened up their kitchen back door and began selling different meals mm -hmm. and different take home opportunities. So they shift their product offering to create new sales opportunities. Yeah. But I think sales, even at a high level, especially for those of you who are in sales, you have to start, just think about the pandemic in general. No more travel, no more face-to-face -face meetings. A lot of the sales transactions are being done virtually. How has that shifted the way you sell something over just the last year? Mm -hmm probably a lot right it's, it's, i mean it's, it's been massive and certainly here in in the uk firms had to spin up as it as organizations around the world to spin up really quickly onto teams zoom you know, google meet you know whatever it might uh, it might be but then also sellers suddenly were were ripped out of um certainly face-to-face -face kind of field sales people were, were ripped out of that kind of face-to-face -face environment and had to sort of build a relationship in in this environment or even build it um, digitally. You know, maybe for inside sales reps, it was not so much as a transition for them because they were already doing it in office. But then the biggest transition of all is actually how do I then do that sitting on the sofa at home in an office with the kids, the wife, the dog, and what have you, um, running running around me. Notwithstanding the the kind of the the mental kind of challenge that in terms of mental well being challenge that that uh, that, that presented. And for me, this is then. I don't, don't, it's not been a good thing because of course it's not been a good thing but what it did do is disprove a lot of things well we can't do it any other way and that's now been proven this way both from a buyer perspective oh i can now buy differently and then from a seller perspective i'm having to sell differently yet i get the sense and i'm in um a, cra a crazy kind of sales leaders whatsapp whatsapp group and discord group where there is a sense that the old sales methodologies and processes are trying to be mangled <laughs> into the, the new way of doing things. And it's just not working, but that's because there I said, the sales leaders, the CROs are just, this is 
this is all I know. And maybe I don't want to admit that I don't know there's a new and better way of, of doing it because will that then, and this is my perception, then say what I've been doing for the last 10 years has been, has been wrong. And it reminds me of a story in my law firm days, uh, CRM system. And I was trying to automate something within the CRM system that, we'd done, that had been done manually in terms of list creating and generating meeting reports for looking meetings. And I almost had a career ending conversation with the CRM manager to the point where I, we just kind of went outside and dealt with I said, you know, what's the problem here? And she didn't want to admit that this was best, a better way of doing it. And her concern was by admitting that this was a better way of doing something to achieve a more efficient outcome, that would then show her up as not knowing what she was doing. And I was like, not in the slightest at all. I'm trying to help you start doing a really manual task and do your clever stuff elsewhere in the system and just let this do its thing, which doesn't need human intervention. But it was that, that not wanting to let go of something that I've spent 10 years building because what will, what will management uh, management thing. So with with that in mind, then that we are in this 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 new world order, and also you know you've given two kind of consumer led experiences, and time and time again, I do a lot of work in professional services. Now it's going to broaden out in in in, in my new role. It's yeah, but we don't sell that way. We, that that's that, that's consumer. We had two-year sales cycles or 12-month sales cycles or six-month sales cycles or whatever it might be. That's ridiculous comparing that to, to our world, so, so go away. So what would your response, I think I know what it's going to be, but what would your response be to, to that kind of mentality, Chris? <laughs> Prove to me it's different. That's going to be the first question. Prove to me it's different. You said a lot of interesting things a moment ago, and one of the things uh, I'll hone in on, there's two things actually I'll hone in on, is you're concerned that what you've been doing over the last 10 years is wrong. It's not necessarily wrong. That's transformation. Mm -hmm. It's evolved. It's adjusted. I think sales is really interesting because a, a lot of people, most sales individuals who I speak to, they get into a routine. This works. I made a sale. I'm going to repeat it. It works again. It, it worked. I made a lot of money. I'm going to repeat it. And they get into that motion. They get into their routine. They get into the, you know, the way they are comfortable with selling and it works for them. And as long as it works for them, they'll keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And if all of a sudden somebody says, you can't do it that way anymore, that's very uncomfortable. That's like, no, this works. I'm not going to change. It goes back to this ego. Yeah. I'm not going to change. The bottom line is, and to your question, there is no sales process that is different. Every single sales process is the exact same. And I know there's probably a thousand people out there who are just my email is chrishood at google.com. Yeah, Go for it. it. A lot of people. Yes. <laughs> and it boils down to two <laughs> primary things. One, relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And two, I just forgot because I was giving out my email address. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, one is relationships and two is customer choice. Mm -hmm. 
whoever you're selling to, no matter what, they ultimately have the choice to buy or not. Mm -hmm. Right? I love you're, it. You're I mean, selling I, to somebody. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love it. I, I, I'm a simple person. In fact, I've been trained on a few sales methodologies and fundamentally, they may have different acronyms, they may have different this and that, but you boil it down to, to it's raw what, what it is. It is just a transaction between two people. And then the value between that, that, that they, they buy into what you're doing, they believe what you're doing that actually is going to deliver what they, um, what they need. And certainly part of, part of me is, you know, obviously really excited about what, you know, organizations such as Google and what, what you're achieving kind of what's out there in the AI automation space. But the other part of me is also kind of terrified because I fear that, sales potentially is going down a route where they're relying too much on kind of the automation side of things and to your point in terms of the the process there is obviously technologies out there now where you come in you sit in front of your laptop and it takes you through just almost like a person just doing this these are the people you call these are the people you email this is what you'll email this is the cadence i'm i the machine are going to send the email out these are the you know the outreaches you're going to do, do on social with no real um human i know this is going to trigger some people human element to it <laughs> and, and that's fine look there there will always be sales let's start there no mm -hmm. matter what there will always be sales that's not going away yep how we sell may evolve, yeah. but the bottom line, there's still a transaction that requires a relationship between two entities. Mm -hmm. We'll fill in the blank what those entities are. Yeah. We see that even today with SaaS models, or I just log into a website, I enter my credit card transaction, even like an Amazon where I want to buy something. I don't have to talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. I just go and enter my information and I get something delivered to me. But there's still a relationship that is being built in there. Yeah. The companies that are successful digitally have to still understand the mechanisms by which what their customers are going to choose mm -hmm. and what that relationship is so that they come back. And if you can't build the relationship digitally, and give customers, once again, what they want, mm -hmm. they're, they're not gonna come back. They're gonna go off to another company that gives them what they want. So there's still sales, mm -hmm. but who's responsible for those sales shifts? It is shifting. Yeah. It's naturally shift. It's going to evolve. There are going to naturally be less salespeople in the world and more websites in the world that mm -hmm. sell. People want that, just like Blockbuster and Netflix. Mm -hmm. People don't want to leave their home to go shopping. They want to stay in their home, in their pajamas, and shop for Christmas presents. Yeah. But there's still product, there's still relationships, and there's still a choice. At the end of the day, customer gets to choose what they want, and they're going to choose what they want based on all of these other factors, which typically a sales individual can go and support. They can build that relationship. Mm -hmm. They can give answers to the tough questions. They can navigate through, you know, those decision-making processes. Yeah. You know, all of the other things that we hear as part of sales can be done easier when you're one-on-one -on -one with somebody versus when you're trying to do it virtually. But again, <clears throat> 
the pandemic has demonstrated people are changing. They ultimately have the final decision. It's their choice. And if they want to sit at home and do it, they're going to do it. You as the business have to figure out how to meet those needs. And if you're not doing that, you're not selling to them. And I think that's, that's a, a, that's a really simple, neat way of, of, of saying it. And I completely agree with you. I think that I always kind of, my view is that sales are there to enable the purchase rather than give them a reason not to buy. But picking up on your point of um, that digital experience, and I, there was a podcast I did um, the last, this year, I lose track of time, early this year or year before, the gentleman called Peter Dorrington, who is a CX kind of um, CX UX specialist. And I can never get the quote quite right, but he cites the Aldous Huxley quote around experiences, how people interpret it more or less. So it's each person that comes to your company website has a interaction with you digitally, wherever that might be, is probably basing that on an experience they've had elsewhere. And if you're not meeting that benchmark of what they believe that to be, and I don't care whether you're a SaaS vendor, you sell pencils, you sell law, you sell professional services, you sell consulting, you sell widgets, in each industry, someone out there is setting that, that digital benchmark as to what that experience is. And the minute someone starts to become kind of the, the leader in that, and the others, in my view, don't catch up, to your point, Chris, around choice, you're no longer even going to be on the shortlist for choice because you're not you know, meeting the, the customer, the client, whoever, the person, in a way that they want to be, to be done. Then leading from that, and this is why I'm a big proponent of what Seth Mars is talking about in, um, in his research with Forrester, is around that then creates a data trail, if you will. So how does then the seller, or rather how does marketing then start to integrate with, with sales to equip the seller with that journey that that person has taken so that they are not repeating what the person's already self-taught. It's, ah, oh, they've done that, that, and that, and that. Based on my previous experience, that normally means they're here in the buying journey. Therefore, typically this happens next. So that's, that's the thing that I need to, to do. And that, for me, is starting to become a really interesting kind of narrative and conversation point, because certainly from Forrester's perspective and Seth's perspective, we're very much at the start of this, this integration of sales and marketing and taking the, the lead from kind of the e-commerce world, if you'll leave the Amazons, if you will, you know, they are the benchmark in there, the Ubers, we always use them in terms of what that good digital experience is, but more importantly, how they then use data effectively, not in a nefarious way, but a way that creates that, um, that experience, which is, unique to that individual so for in, in in your world i mean this is this is google through and through kind of what, what are you seeing at the cutting edge or what are you seeing in terms of what, where that direction of travel is going yeah it's really interesting because i think everything you said is correct and where you, earlier you mentioned like artificial intelligence that's where this starts to materialize Digital experiences represent millions of different possible scenarios. The way I look at a product is going to be different than the way you look at a product. Mm -hmm. My particular needs are different than your particular needs. And so if we both go to the exact same platform, exact same e-commerce to look for the exact same product, even 
we're going to do it differently. We may potentially have different needs for a product as well. And so that data, as you're talking about, comes back in and fuels, or it should <laughs> fuel marketing decisions, sales decisions, product decisions within the organization mm -hmm. to continue to improve that digital experience so that as you come back, you say, wow, that was really great. I'm going to come back. Now, as we start to look forward, artificial intelligence can help us predict a lot of these experiences and present unique experiences to unique individuals based on their unique needs and expectations. And so now when I come in, I'm getting a completely different experience than what you're getting, where again, say today and even five years ago, typically it was the exact same experience for both yeah. of us, whether or not we had the exact same motivations or, or needs. So as this starts to evolve and we use that data as a feedback mechanism to understand what our customers' wants and needs are, then we evolve and we begin to create these unique experiences. And then we can add on another layer of predictability. Mm -hmm. So now it's not just, I'm going to create a personalized experience for you. I'm gonna create a predictable experience for you because I'm gonna, in, in a sense, know what you want before you ask for it. Yeah. And that is very challenging. Uh, there was a survey that was done about a year ago by, I think Salesforce did this, and they found that 73% of individuals expect you to know their needs before you even ask them what those needs are. Now that's 73%. This is like if I'm driving down the road on my way home and I think, oh boy, I would love some ice cream right now. And as I'm passing my grocery store, I get a message pop up and say, hey, we see you're nearby and yeah. we've got uh, chocolate chip cookie dough, Ben and Jerry's on sale right now, swing by and we'll have it available for you at curbside pickup. So all you have to do is drive by, pick it up and head home without any delays. That's where people are expecting us to be. And that sounds very sci-fi, but we're moving in that direction, right? And, yep. and this is where the AI and the, and the experiences and the customer choice and my individual needs all come together. And so it's very exciting, but it completely changes how we sell or how we think about customer choice mm -hmm. over the last five years, definitely. And I think one of the biggest drivers, not just the technology, but has been the pandemic. It, it uh, without without a shadow of a, a, a doubt, and I believe it's, is it Tom Fishburne who does the the marketoonist. There's the picture of the the office, the people in the office building going, you know, digital transformation is going to impact us. And there's the cannonball with COVID nineteen almost coming into the side of the uh, coming yeah. into the side of the, the the building. And you know, I use Waze, and you know, Waze is getting there. You drive past thing, it tells you the office they're on a garage or Pizza Hut is down the road. Well, it's not necessarily personalised to me. It's starting to kind of get to that point i'll say at the yep. moment it's a little bit annoying because it's not that personalized but it's the start of where it's going now yep. do do you offer again i probably know what the answer is going to be but i believe this is possible in traditional you know traditional old school i'm doing inverted commas for those that are listening kind of industries so law 
insurance, um, professional services. I think tax is a bad example because the digitization of tax that's happening in the US and, and the UK. Those where it's longer, more complex sales cycles. If you take the, I think it's LinkedIn saying, or Gartner, one of the two, on average seven to eight decision makers per complex transaction, which could be as much as 17 in some cases. Um, they don't have as much access to data as the Googles, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Ubers do in the world. But do you believe that the, the, the B2B industries can still execute upon what we've just described? Yeah, because the B2B is still a customer. They still have data. It's not that they don't have data. They just don't know what to do with the data. They mm -hmm. don't know how to look at the data. They don't have, you know, they don't care about the data in some cases. The traditional businesses and banks are a big, yeah, yeah. you know, FS, yeah. area mm -hmm. where we still have banks that expect people are going to walk in and walk up and down the aisles and go talk to a teller to deposit a check, mm -hmm. right? So it's a very blockbuster mentality here. I have a son, he's 14 years old. He's never stepped foot into a bank. Mm -hmm. The concept of, I pick up my phone, I take a picture of it, I deposit a check and everything is electronic. There are more than enough banks out there that are digital only. Yeah. And yet when I speak with a lot of traditional banks, they are rooted in this is way, this is the way we do business. This is how we've always done business for 500 years uh, when we were trading rocks and, <laughs> and we are not going to evolve. Even though they know they can, they can't figure it out. Yeah. They can't get ahead of themselves. And the number one thing that banks tell me as to why they can't change is because they say it's not secure enough. Okay. Which is completely and totally false, right? Because we've got thousands of other banks that are digital only and they've figured it out. Mm -hmm. This is not about understanding the data at this point. This is again, just this is just a ego or a challenge or uh, not sure how to do it. Mm -hmm. But lots of these traditional businesses, they have the data, they just don't take the time to understand that data and understand what it's going to take to evolve. And unfortunately, a lot of these banks, traditional or other businesses, you know, are, are eventually just going to pass away. Yeah. And, and all of the other industries you talked about, legal, right, finance, mm -hmm. uh, you know, these traditional B2B, as you said, the process is really honestly the exact same. Insurance is a good one. Uh, I was speaking with an insurance agency, a uh, very large global mm -hmm. insurance company. And I went in, this was actually a, a year or so ago before the pandemic. I went in, sat with their executives and the entire time they were like B2B, B2B, B2B. I said, great, B2B, got it, understand. <laughs> I said, do you know what your customers, because B2B, yeah. it's still your customer. <laughs> do you know what your customers, customers want? So let's change this and say B to B to C. Yeah. Now, if I am selling to another business, 
ultimately I want to sell to that business what they need, which is ultimately what their customers need. Yeah. And so in this particular scenario is an insurance company and they're like, well, we have these insurance products that we sell and we white label and then they sell it off to their customers. Okay, let's have an example. I'm a customer, I'm on the road, I get into an accident, a flat tire or something, and I call my insurance and I say, hey, I'd like to take a picture of my flat tire and send that to you so that you can see what has happened and give me an estimate back in real time. And of course, my insurance company can't do that. Like, what? You can't do that? Uh, you know, my buddy's insurance company can do that. Well, what if you offer that service so they could offer that to their customers? It's still the same. <laughs> We're still talking about providing something at the end goal to somebody else that's going to find value in that. And if you understand that mentality, I call it the outside-in perspective. Mm -hmm. If you start on the outside, understand all the way down the line to whoever the final end user customer is <laughs> and work backwards to the point where you have to build it, that data trail is what you have to invest in mm -hmm. so that you're producing things that people want. And if you can do that successfully, doesn't matter if you're a traditional business, doesn't matter if it's B2B, doesn't matter if it's e-commerce, the process is all the same. We're kindred, we're kindred spirits, uh, Chris. We, we absolutely, uh, absolutely are. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I kind of use the example that whether you're selling to a chief procurement officer, a general counsel, in-house legal, or a CEO, one minute they've been in Uber or Amazon or a Google, you know, Google Maps or whatever it might be, the experience is awesome. The next minute, they've been sent something on email which doesn't work properly. They've gone to a website which hasn't isn't doing what it's supposed to do. They have to go through like a million different forms to get in the slight. Yes, they get frustrated because I completely agree with you. It's, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a person, and the person has a certain expectation of things should just damn well work. To your earlier point, it's then understanding. This is again from my perspective: is understanding where does the human fit into where is it appropriate for the human to be in that sales process. And um, okay, let's not call them salespeople. Is this an iteration of kind of pre-customer success type sort of sort of conversation versus a sales conversation? But then that's, and I know we haven't got time to, to, to kind of go into this, but then this then kind of the whole sales model, um, there's a gentleman called Marcus Kalki who hosts the Inquisitor uh, podcast. He's a, he's, a fascinating, he's a fascinating chap and he calls it how he sees it around that actually fundamentally going back on your point around the process works, repeat the process, keep going. If a seller is being incentivized on a monthly or quarter by quarter basis to do something, that's how they're going to operate. And Marcus's view is that then doesn't, that doesn't create customer lifetime value. His view is that fundamentally sales models need to be ripped up. And in terms of how you incentivize in KPI, how sales and marketing are basically incentivized. And actually a seller should be like almost given like triple bonus for year three renewal. <laughs> and something different for just getting the deal done, but get the deal done when the customer's ready to do it, not when you, your finance director dictates to you because you're trying to deliver shareholder value. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, customer success gets into a whole nother area, <laughs> which I, like, I agree. We, we need another hour just to cover yeah. that. <laughs> we, 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 we do. So um, I am conscious of, uh, of time. So with you, I want to pick up on a, on, on, on a point. What would your advice be to um, then, well, the ego bit, I get it, but you mentioned 
there are probably lots of organizations out there they're just not or people they're just not sure what to do or where to start and because of that that is probably the barrier to starting this journey of change so what would your piece of advice be to any of our our listeners on that around if you're not sure you know you need to do something you're just not sure what to do where's a good place to start yeah i'm going to make it very easy and it really just boils down to ask your customers now there's another element to this that i think people often discount and especially in technology i see this happen often uh, especially at Google, we go into technology organizations and all we're doing is selling a technology and that technology is intended to, you know, improve some sort of system within the organization. And, and so if I was to ask, you know, that particular customer of ours, what do you need? They're going to say something like, <clears throat> well, I just need to improve performance by, you know, 10x or yeah. I need to secure this particular application more than it is today. And I still ask them, at the end of all of this, what does that provide the customer? Mm -hmm. What is the value proposition here? Because I think a lot of times, especially again in technology, people are just buying technology because it's part of it's technology. You know, their operations yeah. or something. Yeah, And they can't make the connection between this technology is going to ultimately give our customers mm -hmm. this, whatever that value is. And again, outside in, if I start with my customers say that our services tend to be slower than they want them to be, mm -hmm. then great. How do I improve speed and then bring that technology in? Or my customers are often complaining, or I, I get a lot of types of responses back that or questions from support saying, there's some questions around security. Mm -hmm. Is this secure transaction? Great. Then bring in some extra security. Yeah. And maybe those questions start to go away. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, again, it boils down to, <clears throat> excuse me, boils down to, you have to ask the customer. And it's not, again, if, if I'm selling technology to a chief technology officer inside of company and it's B2B, that's not the customer. Yeah. My job is to still find out how that is going to increase value within your organization and just bringing in some sort of additional layer of your technology is not necessarily directly correlated to bringing additional value to your customer. So you have to ask, what do you want? And you have to ask questions that you may not be thinking about asking, mm -hmm. such as don't ask them on a scale from one to 10, how they enjoy using your service. Ask them what other services out there do you really enjoy using? Yeah. Because then you get an insight as to what they are using. And then you can begin to replicate that yeah. within your own organization. Don't ask them on a scale from one to 10, how secure do you feel our services? say, what are the most concerning elements that you have related to the experiences within our company mm -hmm. or within our product? And let them tell you. Yeah. Don't guide them because you think, well, they use our service, so we're only going to ask questions about our service. Yeah. I say this often as well. Your competitors are already doing this correctly. So go figure out what they're doing 
and then bring that in so that you can better understand how to evolve your own business. Utterly brilliant. And so simply put, so simply and eloquently, uh, eloquently put, um, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, uh, being on the show. Where can um, my uh, illustrious audience find you if they want to kind of reach out and learn more about what you can do to help them and their businesses? Sure. The best way to find me is chrishood.com, C-H-R-I-S-H-O-O-D.com. There's my website and my blog. Mm -hmm. You can contact me there. I'm on all of social media. You can find all my social media accounts that you can follow there. If you want to find the podcast, you can find that there. So that's the best way to find it. And then feel free. I also gave my email out earlier. <laughs> we'll see how many people reach out to me to challenge my perspective, but happy to happy to talk to anybody. Brilliant. I'll put all the links somewhere into, I haven't got this YouTube thing right, but I'll put them in, in, in the YouTube video in the, um, uh, and the, uh, the podcasters uh, as well. Um, and as always, audience, thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. If there's anybody who you want to be on the show, let me know. If you want to be on the show, let me know. But um, as, as always, um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here today. Um, Chris, thank you so much. I look forward to uh, seeing you online. Absolutely. We'll stay in touch.